Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I speak with future saints about being saints. Today's podcast is titled From Baptist to Catholic. I have with me Brantley Rutz. Brantley, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to begin by plugging our sponsors. Firstly, the Catholic Company. The Catholic Company is a one-stop shop for all your Catholic needs. From books to rosaries to clothing, the Catholic Company has it all. I invite you to check them out online at catholiccompany.com. And since you're listening, use code GBS for 20% off your order. That's code GBS for 20% off your order. My other sponsor that I want to plug is Good Catholic. Good Catholic is a digital multimedia organization that provides wonderful digital series to its listeners. You can go to the Good Catholic website at goodcatholic.com and find the different series. Most recently, they did a series on the Bible. Each series incorporates video with a written component so that you can journey with the host. So check it out. Use code GBS for 20% off your order. That's goodcatholic.com. All right. So today we are here talking about your story, Brantley, uh, from being Baptist to now being Catholic. And Brantley and I kind of just came across one another through social media. It's a wonderful tool. Uh, and he's on fire for the Lord. And I, of course, in the show notes, I will tag his his social media page and anything else that you want me to tag um, so that you can you can follow him and follow the work that he's doing. But today's episode is really just giving him the opportunity to kind of share his story with our listeners. Uh, hopefully. You and I will both be inspired, but um, I'm just so thankful that you took the time today to to be on. No, really, uh, I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Good. Well, I will. I will basically give you the floor, and um, you can just tell your story. The beginning, you know, when things began to shift, when you made the decision uh, to join the Catholic Church, and and you know, then of course, life since that decision. We were talking uh, before we turned the the uh, record button on, and you know, it's been just about a year for you uh, now as is a part of the Catholic church, which I had to laugh about when he said that to me, because in my head, it would appear that he's been Catholic his whole life. So um, <laughs> I, I'm just excited to hear your story. And I, I'm sure that anyone listening is, is also going from it. So the floor is yours. Sure. And yeah, again, thank you for having me on and, you know, thank you for allowing me to, to have the opportunity to do it. It's something that uh, I love to do. I'm thankful just because, I mean, if you were showing me a video of what's happening right now, you know, if you would have shown me five years ago that I'd be sitting right here talking about my conversion to the Catholic Church, uh, I would have thought it was some, you know, video from like a you know, a multiverse of madness or something that it just, you know, I would have never for, foresaw it happening, you know, for me. So at the beginning, I, I you know, I grew up in a, a Christian home. Um, I, if anyone listening can tell, I'm, I'm from the South and uh, grew up in uh, in the SBC, the, the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, uh, a church a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So from 
the moment my you know I was born, my parents had me in church. I was baptized when I was ten in the Baptist church. Um, you know, instilled that going to church, loving Jesus, you know, all of that was important. <clears throat> and even in high school, I was very involved uh, at the church I went to. Uh, you know, as part of the the drama team, I was at you know every camp every Wednesday night. You know, very very involved. Um, you know, certainly not always living uh, the way that I should, but but was involved with, uh, at church as much as uh, as much as I could be. Um, if you would have asked anybody at the high school I went to, uh, that certainly would have been a part of you know what they said. You know, Brantley's one of the guys is you know I was at church that sort of thing. Um, even if I wasn't always living, uh, consonant with, uh, what I said, I believe. Um, but yeah, so grew up in a, in a Baptist, uh, household, you know, and so one of the things about that is I didn't, at least in my church, you know, I didn't hear a lot about the Catholic faith. Like it wasn't something, you know, my, my pastor didn't stand up on stage and belabor the, you know, whether it be the points of the Reformation or, you know, anything that would be considered anti-Catholic, but it wasn't really something I heard a lot from the pulpit, uh, but anything that I did kind of glean, it was certainly that, you know, Catholics need evangelizing. So I actually remember uh, at the Baptist church I went to, we had something called a evangelism explosion. Um, anybody that's listening that's Protestant, especially Baptist, may be familiar. You know, you would see people walk around uh, with these two little, this pen with these two little question marks on it. And what we would do is uh, it was basically a class where, we were taught how to evangelize people. It was kind of like a script, almost like a sales script. And we would actually, you know, once we kind of learned a little bit, we'd actually go out. I remember going to malls and things like that. We'd knock on doors and we would ask people these, these two questions. And I'm going to off the top of my head, I'm going to see if I can remember them. So one of them was, you know, if you were to die tonight, you know, where would you spend eternity? Oh, you know, of course, everybody, I'd, I'd go to heaven, you know, whether they were Christian or not. And the next question would be, if you were to stand before, the Lord, if you stand before Christ and he said, why should I, you know, let you in? What would you say? And it was a way to kind of, you know, see what did people understand about salvation? And as far as I can remember, uh, almost everybody would answer, well, I'm a good person, that sort of thing. It's actually funny. One of the, one of my early interactions with with a Catholic was I remember walking up to a lady pushing a card in the mall and and I asked her that second question. And she was so offended that I asked her immediate response was, I'm Catholic. And then she just kind of walked away and, you know, 10 year old me was like, oh, okay. You know, and uh, that was, you know, kind of one of my, my early interactions. And in my mind, I just remember thinking, well, like saying I'm a Catholic, that doesn't necessarily get you into heaven. And as I, as I grew older, um, you know, some of the early impressions that I had of, of Catholics, you know, my, I don't come from a Catholic family. Uh, nobody in my immediate family are Catholics. Um, as a matter of fact, my, uh, maternal grandfather, uh, he died a few years ago, but, uh, he was nominally Catholic. Uh, you know, without going into many details, he wasn't a very good man. Um, and so, especially for my mom, like that was one of the impressions of Catholics that she had, uh, his, uh, it was the faith, his mother, uh, my, my Nana, uh, my great grandmother. And I remember, uh, my mom saying something to the effect when I was young, after my, my grandma, great-grandmother passed away that, uh, you know, she was kind of one of the Catholics that would go to heaven because she actually loved Jesus. So, you know, that was kind of seen as like, you know, she was going to heaven kind of in spite of her Catholicism. Um, so didn't have a lot of good examples, even the, the very, very few that I had in my life at that time. 
uh, my Nana being kind of the exception. And so as I grew older, and again, I want to be very clear, my my mom wasn't anti-Catholic in that sense. It was just that we didn't have a lot of good examples. And as I got older and as I studied theology, that sort of thing, um, you know, because I I went to college, uh, there's a whole story, and I don't know if we'll get into it, but essentially kind of what led me into studying theology. But I graduated from a Protestant uh, college with a degree in theology with the hopes of going into vocational ministry, becoming a pastor, that sort of thing. And as I moved deeper into my faith, studied theology, um, I would say that my quote-unquote anti-Catholicism did kind of ramp up a little bit, but mainly because I studied the Reformers. You know, I was coming in from the uh, Reformed tradition, and as I moved further into uh, my theological studies, became a Calvinist, specifically in the Baptist stream, so what I call Reformed Baptist. And there is certainly, in swimming in those circles, a strong anti-Catholicism. And so while I wasn't out necessarily berating Catholics or anything like that, I definitely viewed Catholics as a group of individuals who needed to be evangelized. And I would say even as a Catholic, there's maybe still some truth to that. You know, we we need to make sure that uh, those that, that claim the name of Christ and claim the, the that they are part of the Catholic Church truly are living consonant with the faith, understand the faith, that sort of thing. But but as I saw it, you know, my kind of the, the spiritual leaders that I was looking up to would refer to the Catholic Church as something like an apostate church. They didn't possess the true gospel. And again, if people in the Catholic Church were saved, it was in spite of their Catholicism, almost, you know, praying for that invincible ignorance that, you know, they, they're they're saved because they love Jesus and they just don't know what their church teaches. Like that, that was the circles I was swimming in. So um, kind of hitting fast forward a little bit, you know, I, uh, after I graduated uh, college, my wife and I, we didn't have, we weren't, uh, we didn't have children at the time. We actually moved to uh, North Carolina. I was pursuing a master's of divinity at a, uh, at a, uh, within the SBC, it was a prestigious, uh, seminary up there, great seminary, uh, to study again, uh, for, uh, vocational ministry. Um, shortly thereafter, we realized we wanted to come back home, start a family. And we did, uh, we left, uh, in December of 2012, we left North Carolina, came back home, found out we were pregnant in January of 2013. Uh, then that, you know, started our, started our family. Uh, but it really wasn't until a few years ago that everything began to change. As a matter of fact, if I kind of had to mark like a moment, even though I didn't know at the time what was happening, if I kind of had to mark a moment. It was around the time COVID began. Um, so I had already been kind of primed for this. I've been listening to uh, there was one particular Lutheran, Lutheran pastor uh, who has a YouTube channel where I was listening to him. And so I disagreed with some of his theology but he really began to open me up to this un, this uh, understanding of the sacraments that I didn't have. Um, you know, coming from a Baptist background, very low church background, um, I didn't see like the sacrament of baptism and what we would refer to as the Lord's Supper the way that Lutherans, Anglicans, and certainly Catholics see it. Um, and even within the the Baptist stream, there's there's differences of how you understand it. Some would refer to you know, the sacraments is the means of grace. Some would see it as a more 
you know, mental remembrance and that sort of thing when you're partaking of the Lord's Supper. But we'll get into all that at this time. But I began to listen to uh, this Lutheran uh, scholar and pastor and listening to him uh, and, you know, his discussions on the sacraments of baptism and infant baptism and the Lord's Supper, it began to kind of soften me a bit, I guess you could say, on that. And so I I began this journey of like, I really need to re, kind of relook at, at least from the Baptist perspective, kind of the two ordinances or the two sacraments that we would hold to, which would be baptism and the Lord's Supper. So I began with the Lord's Supper, moved to kind of more of a Calvinist understanding with the spiritual presence of Christ really is present with us in the in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. Uh, but it's a spiritual presence. There's no real change in the the substance of the bread and the wine. Um, but what really ramped things up for me was as a father, I had four children at this time. As a father, I'm looking at my children and as a Baptist, I'm going, okay, I have not baptized them. But if this is a sacrament that Christ has given us to give to our children, I want to be obedient to that. And so I, you know, I was probably 98, 99% of the way to, you know, it was like almost, you know, Presbyterian in my theology. I didn't have the right ecclesiology, and I, I certainly didn't have infant baptism as a part of my theology at that time. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to really study this. I'm really going to dive deep into this, because if this is something that Christ has told me to give to my children, uh, then I want to be faithful to that. I want to make sure, you know, as a father, that I'm being faithful to what Christ has, has uh, instituted and what he's called me as a father to do and to give uh, to my children. And so started diving deep into Presbyterian authors. And what I began to see is that there's really good arguments that the uh, reform, the Presbyterians make. Uh, I started kind of leaning more towards that, uh, that view. But what really started kind of the, the catalyst, if you will, is uh, when I would read Presbyterian authors and they would look back to the early church and say, you see, this was the the practice in the early church. You don't see anybody disagreeing or saying, hey, this is not apostolic. And that really started, you know, again, pushing me further back into history. And the big thing that kind of really flipped the switch was, you know, those authors, those authors were very quick to admit, hey, they didn't understand baptism the way that we do as Presbyterians. They did see it as regenerative. We don't. So it's kind of like, well, they got the practice right. They just got the the kind of the, the meaning behind it wrong. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. You know, was this a one-off? Was it just a, a few authors that uh, are writers that, you know, claimed that it was regenerative, but what I began to see that it was ubiquitous. So I went, okay, well, what else was the early church teaching that's not, you know, in line with what I currently believe. And that really just started the snowball. And so without belaboring every point uh, and going too, too, too deep, uh, I did not begin my journey by studying whether the Catholic Church was true or not. Uh, because at that time, I already knew that it wasn't, you know. Um, what I what I was trying to see was, how can I be faithful, uh, you know, a faithful Christian one is personally, how do I live out the faith rightly? But especially as a father, how do I make sure and ensure that I am teaching my family, especially my children, 
uh, how to live out the faith properly and to make sure that I'm including them in the covenant community if that's what Christ has, has called me to do. And that just started that journey of slowly kind of creeping my way through, you know, where it began with infant baptism, then the Eucharist. And then eventually it was like, you know, I, I thought I was going to be Anglican at one point because it was nice, what they would call the via media, you know, kind of the middle way between Rome and Protestantism. And, you know, I could have the, the liturgy, you know, the Eucharist, all of that, um, but still kind of keep my foot firmly in the Protestant camp. But, you know, uh, eventually the papacy and uh, did me in, if you will. And that was really the that was my biggest thing. And that was the thing that was the final nail in the coffin for me. We'll be right back. Interested in learning more about your faith? I invite you to check out Good Catholic. They are a digital media brand focused on sharing and teaching about the faith. From podcasts to blogs to digital series, Good Catholic has it all. Use the code in the show notes to get 20% off your order at Good Catholic. Well, truth sometimes uh, it, it does win out, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah, I mean, because the way that I always say it is, you know, you could spend literally a lifetime. Because now, even in the Catholic Church, like I was telling my wife just the other night, the more that I read, I would say the more that I read, one, the more I'm confirmed in my decision. But two, uh, the more that I realize that I also don't know. Like the further I move in, it's the 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 world is much larger than I could have ever imagined. Uh, but so what I would tell people is like, look, you could spend a lifetime studying all these ancillary things, uh, which aren't bad. But I would say that for me, when I said I need to make sure that I'm giving my children the sacrament, because I was convinced at that time that I needed to have them baptized. The question was where, and so I could spend years trying to figure out where do I go from here? And again, I was pretty convinced at one point that it was going to be the Anglican church. And and again, there's a lot that I could say there, but for me, the one thing was if the papacy is true, if it is a divinely instituted office, there's only one church that's claiming this office. So I could quickly do away with the Catholic church. If I recognize that this is not a divinely instituted office, but if it is true, if Christ did establish this office as a matter of unity for the church, then there's nowhere else that I could go. So whatever other, again, ancillary issues there are that I could study and again, are fruitful to study. uh, I knew that I didn't have to spend years and decades trying to figure it out. That's where Christ church is. That's where it is. And so ultimately that's, uh, that's what did me in. No, it's beautiful. Well, I, I think just, uh, you know, from, from my end, as I listen to your story, so let's, you're, you're back, you're back in the South, you're back to where, where you grew up, or at least near where you grew up. Yeah. What are you doing in this time? Are you working at a church or are you doing something completely aside? So you were in school to get yeah. for divinity. Did you not finish that? So I didn't finish my master's. Yeah. So at the time when I moved uh, from North Carolina back to Alabama, online uh, degrees weren't like, like they are now. Uh, The seminary that I was going to had like a hybrid learning 
Uh, but you had to spend a certain amount of, you had to first get a certain amount of like online credits and I didn't have that many. So I couldn't continue it there. Remember there was one college I look at, looked at that was fully, it was a fully online MDiv, but it was like a five-year program, uh, which is funny because looking back, it was like, well, I didn't finish it anyways. I could have got it done in those five years, but, but didn't. Um, and, it, but eventually over the next year or two, they, uh, they, some of the seminaries did open it up and I, I did a little bit, but I never completed my degree. But during those years, I was, um, you know, I would say serving at churches. Like I wasn't on paid, you know, staff or anything like that, but I had plenty of opportunities to preach, uh, to serve. I was uh, doing, uh, you know, like Sunday school. I had high school uh, guys that I was teaching on Sundays, but, you know, I was in the, in the workforce, raising a family, still what I'm doing. Uh, but I still had the kind of the end goal of wanting to be a full-time vocational uh, pastor. It just, the opportunity kind of never arose. And I always had maybe a fear, but definitely this, this sense that like, I needed to make sure that when that time came, if it ever did, um, that, you know, I was spiritually uh, prepared for it. And looking back, there's, there's a lot to that story. I wasn't at the time, um, you know, God kind of kept me from that, but, uh, but yeah, anyways, I, I never became a full-time vocational minister, but I definitely was serving, preaching, teaching in the church, at, you know, in, in my local churches at that time. Okay. That's beautiful. Well, I, I my next, my next thing is I'm, is I'm listening to you talk, you know, of course you've mentioned your children multiple times, you know, where, where's your wife in all this situation? I mean, you guys, was she raised Baptist as well? Um, you know, what's, what's kind of the background or what's, what's that look like as, as you're starting to question what you believe and what you've been taught your whole life. And you're kind of trying to find truth in the deepest sense. I mean, where's your wife in all of that? Sure. Well, it was, uh, as anybody that's listening, that's, you know, had a similar journey where, you know, neither of you are coming from that background. Um, you know, it was a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, we were very fortunate and I'll get to that in a, in a second, but, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a whirlwind for us because, you know, she, so we actually met, um, we went to the same high school, but, but she was two years younger than I am, or is two years younger than I am. That hasn't changed. Uh, but we, we, uh, went to the same high school, but we met at church uh, at the church we went to. Um, so, you know, she wasn't like her, her parents weren't, um, you know, didn't go to church that much, but she was still, you know, going to church. She was, you know, I guess you could say raised in the church cause she would, she would go, um, and and that's where we met. So we met in, you know, both were, were baptized in the Baptist church. And so she had no background with the Catholic church. And so when I began to study these things, you know, again, I was moved. I didn't know that I was moving from, from Baptist to Catholic at the time. It was really like, she knew like, Hey, I'm really studying this thing on uh, baptism, specifically infant baptism. And so she was starting to kind of see that change already and even for her, knowing once I knew that, you know, that infant baptism uh, was something that that was uh, instituted by Christ, we knew that we could stay in the church that we were at. That was already going to be a big change for her. And as I began further down the journey and Catholicism was even on the table, the moment that, that I even mentioned that to her, uh, it was a big um 
it was a big issue for her. Now she wasn't like, I'll never do that. But like, she immediately was like, no, like, like, come on. Like, are you serious? You know, that, that sort of thing. So it was all the, the infant baptism thing and all the things I was sharing with her at that time was already a lot for her to handle. And just even putting Catholicism on the table uh, was, it, it was, it was huge. Um, but she was very gracious. I recognized very quickly that, you know, I need to make sure that I was careful with how I, um, that how I approached her with this. So I continued to keep her in the conversations of what I was studying, certainly prayed a lot and, uh, and recognized that, you know, she would have to kind of be on her own journey. Now, fast forwarding a little bit, uh, I was very fortunate uh, that we did enter the church at the same time. So she did, you know, join the the Catholic Church with me. That's not everybody's story, sadly, and I know for a lot that it's a it's a cause of immense division. Um, it's very very unfortunate. And I pray for those who uh, are in those situations. But she had her own journey. Um, I just kind of again invited her into what I was studying, and as you know, she's a mother. She's homeschooling. She's got four kids. She's taking care of. Like she doesn't have time during the day to pour through you know, early church fathers and all the things that I kind of was doing in my free time at night. Um, and so it's, it was difficult, you know, and there was things that she was just like, you know, didn't understand things like the Marian dogmas, you know, that sort of thing. But RCIA was definitely a, a big thing for her. That was, that was very helpful. Uh, gave her a springboard or gave her an opportunity to listen to what the church teaches and was kind of a springboard for us to have further and deeper conversations on those items on those different particular doctrines. And, uh, it eventually, you know, she softened up and, and, um, like I said, we were confirmed, uh, both confirmed at the same time, uh, at the Easter vigil last year. So yeah, we're, we're both fully in. And it's like I've said, even with myself, someone who spent much more time studying, we're still on a journey, you know, we're still, uh, learning more and more about the, what the Catholic church teaches. So, yeah, but yeah, we're we're very fortunate to be on the same page now and raising our kids uh, in the faith. We'll be right back. Today's podcast is sponsored by The Catholic Company. The Catholic Company is a one-stop shop for all your Catholic needs, from rosaries to books to clothing. The Catholic Company has it all. Use the code in the show notes to get 20% off your order. Yeah, I think I think that's just, I mean, like you said, it's, it's beautiful. And yet, you know, you think about the couples who that situation is different. I mean, I, I am sure you've probably read Rome Sweet Home. Um, or maybe you haven't. But, so my uh, wife read it. Uh, it's, I always feel terrible. Cause like, that's like the one book I feel like they hand you as soon as you get confirmed, like read this, you know, or like, it's, you know, you have to read it before being confirmed, but that's the one book that everybody, and I've read a lot of Scott Hahn, uh, but that's so funny. That's the one book that I haven't read. My wife read it. And she tore through it. And this yeah. is after we can work like three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think her, like, she's not a big reader. And I think it was two, maybe three days that she read it. I've heard so much of his story that it's like, I feel like maybe I've read it, but, uh, but she told me it's great. Yeah, it, it, it was. But, uh, you know, his big, you know, he laments about the 
the harsh reality of him being there and Kimberly not, you know, Kimberly was also, you know, a, a scholar as well. And, you know, done a lot with theology and, and gone to school for it. And for her, you know, she just wasn't there. And I, I just remember him talking about going to mass and her not being there in the pew with him, you know, or she would go and, you know, there's just the division. And I think what a gift that your wife, although maybe not, there right away at least not in the fullest sense you know got there and you know of course god uses grace and used you to you know kind of open her up to that and you know even if she wasn't catholic today you know there'd still be a hope and hope does not disappoint so there's there's a big gift there Amen. so now you've been fully in the church you know since since easter last year um I I think, can you speak a little bit about just your journey over this past year? I think, you know, there are so many people, I, I think, who follow this page. I would guess that um, more of more of the listeners to this podcast are probably, you know, faithful Catholics who have been Catholic for a while, or in my case, you know, are, are just baptized and raised Catholic their whole life. So, um, and yet, we all know that the faith takes different journeys in our lives, and there are times where we take it more seriously than others, and hopefully it's always a deepening. You know, hopefully it's once we get to a certain point, we just keep growing. Um, but I, I'm curious to just hear kind of about your last year, because I think, you know, from from what I can tell, uh, talking to you today and also just seeing, you know, your posts and the work that you're doing, you're deeply in love with the faith. You're deeply in love with Jesus. And you're, it sounds like you've almost, you're resigned to the Catholic faith in a sense of like, well, even if everything is not perfect or doesn't make perfect sense, I have to believe that this is, this is it. You know, the, the Jesus Christ established this church. It is the church for me, for my family. It is the right church is the one Holy Catholic apostolic church. But of course that doesn't make everything make perfect sense. I mean, I think we could sit here and talk for an hour about the things that are confusing or, you know, the thing, the questions we'll have for God when we get to heaven, uh, God willing, we get to heaven. Um, but I, I'm just curious to hear kind of what the last years look like. And I know I've, I've more questions for you and we'll, we'll save most of those questions for our, our part two, but, um, would love to just hear kind of your story with, within the last year. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I kind of got to the point and I remember ha having these discussions with a friend of mine who, you know, was going to the same church I went to. We actually taught Sunday school together and we were working together at the time. And, and I mentioned to him, you know, I was talking, bringing him into the conversations of what I was studying. And, you know, especially when I was convinced, uh, that the Catholic church was, or is the church that Christ established. And I kind of mentioned to him, I said, you know, um, I'm, I said, man, I know this is, uh, it's probably be controversial and, and I don't mean to offend or rub anybody, rub anybody the wrong way, but based on everything I see from scripture, based on everything that I see from the early church and the, the, you know, looking at church history, if the Catholic church is not what she says she is, I don't know where to go from there. Maybe the Orthodox Church, maybe. But when I look at, at Scripture and I look at the early church, 
I don't know where else I can go. And so if it's not the Catholic Church, you know, I don't think I would be necessarily an atheist, but I, I don't know where I would go from there. And so um, you know, that was kind of my thought process. And that's, that is where I'm at now. It's like, um, you know, as I kind of mentioned, it's like the more that I move into the faith, uh, there, there's in if you've ever read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, there's the the famous scene where they uh, go into Narnia and they they continue to repeat the phrase further up and further in, further up and further in. And as you move as you move into the faith, uh, and and you learn more about the faith, at least in my my experience, uh, things don't begin to shrink. Like okay, like things are narrowing down. They open up more. Not that there's more confusion. But you recognize that the truth is far more expansive. It's far more extensive. The beauty of the church is far greater than I could have ever imagined. And that's the reality of God. You know, he's far greater than we can ever imagine. You know, he condescends to us and speaks to us in a way that's almost like children because it's what we understand. But as we grow further and further into the faith, you know, we recognize that God is is far greater than, than we could have ever imagined. That's been true about Uh, the Catholic faith. So over this past year, um, as I study and as I grow, uh, I recognize that it's far deeper. And that's the beauty of the faith. There's always something to learn and to grow. And so that's kind of the part of, you know, my page, you know, part of me is like, you know, did I start it too early? Should I wait until, uh, you know, I know more, that sort of thing, because, um, you know, I want to be one, you know, (laughs) One of the things as a Calvinist we we often uh, would joke about or would often condemn is what we call like the cage stagers, the, the cage stage Calvinists. And what that means is it's like those who became Calvinists often were, and it's funny because you know, we call Calvinism the, the doctrine, the doctrines of grace, but Calvinists could also often be the least gracious people because they're like, okay, you have this system of doctrine and then you just want to fight everybody about it. You know, it's like, well, you're wrong and here's why. And so I wanted to make sure moving into my Catholic faith that I didn't carry that over with me where I'm all of a sudden using my faith as, um, you know, kind of as a, a uh, you know, a cudgel, like, you know, just beating people, a club, beating people with it and saying, you know, you, you need to join the Catholic Church and here's why you're wrong. And so I wanted to make sure that I was being gracious and presenting the faith in a gracious manner, but in manner. But I also wanted to make sure that I was presenting the, the faith in the right light. I do not want to, you know, teach people or teach things that are are incorrect. Because one of the things that I have seen over the, this past year, and it's one of the most heartbreaking things that I've seen over the past year, is every time that I've se- talked to somebody who has left the Catholic faith. You know, they're like, oh, I was Catholic and here's why I left. Or I was raised in the Catholic church or raised in, you know, I went to Catholic school and here's why I left. Every single time without fail, without fail, I had this exact conversation yesterday with somebody on my page. It's that they weren't properly catechized. And what breaks my heart about that is, you know, now being in the faith and recognizing that, you know, we get to receive Christ in the blessed sacrament that we get to receive Christ in the Eucharist, that we get to participate in that once-for-all sacrifice of Christ, that it is made present at the altar every single time that we attend Mass. And that we also get to participate in the other sacraments, that we get to participate in the sacrament of reconciliation. 
I want people to have access to these sacraments. And it breaks my heart when I see people that have left the Catholic Church, that they have left the ordinary means of grace that Christ has given us, not because of, you know, what the Catholic Church teaches, but what they perceive the Catholic Church to be and to teach. And so for me, I want to present the faith in a way that people understand that, like you said, no matter what is going on outside it or even inside it, uh, that we do need to call out and say, yeah, we we need to correct these things. Um, that we remain within the ark of salvation because we get to remain in the the ark that, that God has placed us in and stay connected to the sacraments that he's given us. And so one of the things that over the past year that I've sought to do, uh, try to do, um, what, you know, and I'm sure there have been plenty of times that I failed to do is to present the faith correctly um, because I want people, it's kind of, you know, the taste and see, you know, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking about this as we were talking and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, but I feel like converts to the Catholic faith, to other Catholics, cradle Catholics, especially we're like circus freaks, you know, we're behind the cage and people are like, Whoa, like, you know, why, you know, it's like, why would you do that? You know, especially people that have been in it long and they're like, man, they're just hanging on by a thread. They're seeing this going on and that going on. And, you know, they're, they're kind of, uh, numb to some things, you know, especially when you get into the liturgical wars and all the things that are going on. And then, and, and especially because they're getting so much anti-Catholic sentiment, especially those for us in the States, there's such strong anti-Catholicism. They're like, why would you come over to this side? You know? And, uh, and so, uh, you know, that's what I want my page to be like, what was it, you know, what was it that caused me to come into the faith? And so, that's what I want people to see is to taste and to see. And so for those who have left the church, you know, I pray that they would have a reversion, that they would come back into the faith. Those that aren't Catholic right now, that maybe are in that stream of anti-Catholicism, that they would also taste and see because I want them. You know, I, of course, we understand as Catholics, like there is absolutely an opportunity for those outside the you know Roman communion uh, to to be saved. We understand that there are Christians that aren't in communion uh, with the Bishop of Rome. Uh, however, I want people to have the fullness of the faith. I, you know, if what we say about the Eucharist is true, uh, then why wouldn't we want people to have access to that? And I, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking about this morning as I was spending time in, in prayer and study is, you know, for whatever people think about, me, you know, whether I'm posting on, on Facebook or Twitter, f- friends and family of mine who are not Catholic, you know, they may see it as like, oh, there's Brantley just, oh, he's so concerned about Catholicism and he's just talking about Catholicism or whatever. It's like, no, understand that if what we believe about the Eucharist is true, and I do not tell you about that, and I do not draw you, uh, ask you to come and see and taste the Lord literally in the Eucharist, then then that would be completely unloving for me to do. In the same way, uh, for those maybe that aren't even Catholic, the way that they would share their faith with a non-theist, an agnostic, an atheist, whatever, or a non-Christian, it would be unloving for you not to do so. I would say it's the same thing for me. I want you to have access to the sacrament. So in my page over the past year, those are the conversations I've had. I've had very um, amazing conversations with people that are now in RCIA that are coming into the church that I've been able to talk to. Uh, that have overcome some of those objections. That, to me, that there, there's nothing greater. Like if there's 
days that I, I want to delete social media and just get rid of it. Those are the things that have kept me in. So that's kind of the past year uh, really for me has just been further study, further moving into the faith and any little nuggets of wisdom and truth that I've picked up and learned along the way. Those are the things I've, I've tried to communicate uh, to anybody that chooses to, to follow along uh, on my journey. That's beautiful. I, I think as, as you're, you're sharing the, the, the scripture passage that kind of stuck out in my head is just thinking of John six and Jesus just kind of looking at them and he sees people walk away and he looks at Peter and the apostles. He's like, will you also leave? And you know, there's just resignation from Peter. He's like, no Lord, where would I go? You have the words of life. And I think, you know, I look at our Catholic faith and I, I think when you, especially when you're talking about people who have left the faith, you know, oftentimes you talk to them and they're angry, they're bitter, they're upset. Somebody hurt them or they're upset at the people who have done awful things. You know, the the priests or religious or teachers who have, you know, wounded them or wounded somebody they know, you know, and committed atrocities. And these are all real things. These are things we need to be praying for. But you and I don't stay in the Catholic faith. We don't we aren't Catholic because of the people we're Catholic because of Jesus Christ and what he's handed down and he's used broken people for 2000 years and he will continue to. And there's just so Amen. much uh, goodness there. And I just find myself anytime I, you know, I'm fortunately struggling with the faith is not something I typically do, but you know, even in those hard moments, I'm just able to say, Lord, where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Um, I think this is a perfect spot to stop for episode one, and then we can do kind of a Q&A for part two. Um, any final thoughts you want to share? Or if not, we can uh, just uh, call it for this episode and move on to to the next one. Well, the last thing I'll say, I just want to say amen. Uh, that's, uh, that is exactly the passage that I have thought about, mentioned to others. Like, I don't know where I would go if somehow I recognize that the Catholic church wasn't true, whatever the case may be, whatever that would look like, I don't know where I would go. So, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, for those who are kind of numb or scandalized by anything that's going on within the church, uh, I would say that we have precedence for it. If anybody has read scripture, you look at any time, uh, you know, God has given authority uh, graciously given us authority in the church, whether it be the priests in the old Testament uh, whether it be the apostles themselves, you know, we look at, uh, you know, the uh, St. Peter himself. I mean, his scripture is replete of examples of the moment that Jesus hands over the keys of the kingdom to St. Peter and establishes church. You know, what is the very next passage? Jesus rebuking St. Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan. He <laughs> denies him three times. Later, Paul, St. Paul has to uh, rebuke him. Um, you know, we recognize that, that you know, the leaders in our church, the, the men that God has placed in authority over us, they're not impeccable. He doesn't give us the promise of impeccability uh, with our leaders. But when they act in their magisterial role, he does graciously give us, uh, by his Holy Spirit, the charism and the gift of infallibility that we can make sure that, you know, that the Catholic faith has and will always remain the same. And so we have scriptural examples of that, of, of you know, no matter what the authority uh, figures that God has placed uh, in, uh, over us do. And again, we should always call out uh, sin and scandal. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we can't turn a blind eye to it. 
but ultimately, we trust in the leadership and the authority that God has given us, not because of those men, uh, but sometimes in spite of those men. And ultimately, we're trusting in God, who is sovereign and providential over his church. Amen. Amen. Well, I think that's a perfect uh, ending for this part one. Thank you so much, Brantley, for coming on. Um, thank you to our sponsors, Good Catholic and the Catholic Company. Use code GBS for 20% off your order. And to everyone listening, have a great day. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and check out goodcatholic.com for more details.